Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I've completely forgotten what number this is, but I'm sure we'll let you know halfway through the episode. Um, this is run by uh, myself, Ben Peggs, and Christopher Mollard. We are both two GB uh, foilists and actually coach and student as well. And we started the podcast in lockdown to kind of give you a bit more understanding about uh, what we were doing and keeping the community engaged. Um, but now lockdown is basically over um, and we're kind of exploring lots of different uh, things and we're talking to lots of different people. So today we're going to give a very warm welcome to the Women's Foil Canadian team who have just qualified for the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And we're very excited to have them. Um, Chris, how excited are you to have the girls here today? Yeah, this is awesome. We've um, I've, I've already had to stop some questions because we were just talking before we started recording and there was so much good stuff coming up that I basically muted everyone. Yeah, <laughs> you did, you did. So in fact, let, let, let's go round. Um, so shall we, well, shall we start with Kelly? Do you want to say hello and tell, tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, so my name's Kelly Ryan. I'm on the women's foil team in Canada. I've been on the team since 2008. I'm based, I'm from Ottawa, but I ended up spending the last seven years in the New York area training there. And then when the pandemic hit, I moved back to Canada and I chose to move to the mountains. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good starter. Awesome. Awesome. Well, who wants to go next? I'm Eleanor Harvey. Uh, I have been on the national team since around 2012 and uh, from Hamilton, Ontario. So I trained um, in that area, like in Toronto, uh, Toronto Fencing Club and um, so about like 10 other clubs in that area. Um, went to university in Columbus, Ohio, or at the Ohio State University, uh, graduated in 2018 and moved back to uh, Hamilton slash Toronto, where I've been training since then. Cool. Awesome. And that that leaves us with your fine self. Yeah, I'm Alana Goldie. I'm from Calgary, Alberta. I think my first world on the national team is 2011. Kelly can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so I joined the team in 2011. I also went to the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, graduated the same year as Eleanor. We like to do everything together. Um, and then I moved back to Calgary and that's about it for me. Awesome, awesome. Well, it's great to have you three here. Thank you so much for your many introductions. Um, it, it's good to find out a little more about yourselves as well. So you guys must be psyched that you're going to the Olympic Games, right? Yeah. <laughs> for our viewers that like obviously are just listening, we are, again, thousands of miles apart. Lockdown is meaning this is the current situation. So we're doing this over Skype like we are with the rest of it. So unfortunately, we're trying to sound really enthusiastic, but also trying to not over-talk each other. So the girls are buzzing, right, for the Olympic <laughs> Games. You've got 50 days to go, and you guys, what's the plan between now and then? Are you going to any training camps? Where are you training right now? What's the kind of plan on the build-up to the Games? So we just came out of a training camp in Montreal. We were there mostly with the men's foil team. Um, and now we're like starting a block where we're training in the States. Uh, so we're going to be training at Fencers Club in New York and staying in New Jersey. And then we're going to go to Colorado Springs and uh, train with some Americans and a couple of other people. Um, and then we'll head off to Japan. I know Marcus uh, from the UK is, is tends to be over in Brooklyn Bridge, but um, 
probably as you guys are flying in, I think he's just jetted out because he's in Italy at the moment and then doing a little European tour. So uh, you'd have to put up with him, which is quite nice. But Colorado Springs is amazing. Is that the kind of US national center? Is that where they're, they're training? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the whole American team is there, but uh, because it's so close to the Olympics, they're not too keen on having Canadian spies in the building. So uh, we'll be training at like a different location, but the Americans will be there. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, nice. That's really cool. And, and and do you guys tend to train, because I mean, from what we've obviously spoken about, you guys tend to train quite close. You know, you guys are spending a lot of time training together. Would you say that's been a bit of a difference recently in, in, in the last few years training together as a team? Yeah, yeah. I definitely think so. Because before this, like Eleanor and I, like I said, we're always together. So we've kind of like found our way. But um, before we kind of had like camps and see each other at competitions, uh, but now we're all kind of living in the same place. We're seeing each other a lot more. Our camps are a lot longer because it's like safer COVID wise. Um, so, yeah. So you're you're quite an experienced team now as well, because it, it sounds like you've all kind of been around. You've all been on the world circuit for quite a few years, which I think, would you say it's probably been key to your qualification? I think so. We've been a team since 2012. Um, the three of us, I mean, together and we've had different uh, fourth, uh, team members, but we know each other very well. And we've gone through a lot of things together and, you know, gone through cycles of like figuring out team strategies together. So I think it definitely strengthened um, our pursuit. And uh, I think it also helped us have like a bit of peace of mind as we were going through qualification that like we're doing this as a team and like we didn't have a lot of rivalry amongst the team. So I think that was positive as well. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. And so presumably you've all set, um, you're sitting, you've set your roles now as well. You've kind of accepted what order you go in, what uh, you, you probably don't have to talk as much in order to kind of communicate how things are going or kind of what needs to happen next. I've heard lots of stories about really experienced teams like the French, you know, like men's FA team, for example. You know, they just need a wink or a nod to each other and they all know what's happening. Yeah, I think, yeah, like we... Like the problem right now is that like we haven't fenced team together um, like at a tournament in a really long time. Um, so uh, I think that makes us like really excited to fence together, um, but also kind of like opens the doors to like, OK, maybe we've been doing things a certain way. Now it's kind of like open. Uh, we can kind of reset it and uh, be more open to different strategies or whatever. Yeah, and I think that's like something that's interesting with like COVID is you kind of like don't know what to expect from people anymore. Uh, when we went to Doha for the one competition of the year, it's kind of like, I don't, I'm fencing this person, but I have no idea what they can do. And I think we're going to see a lot of that at the Olympics. And I feel like we'll see it in team, especially where people can like play with the order and you have no idea what's going to happen now. I think you're going to see some curveballs, right? Because, you know, the Olympic Games is certainly, um, as, as you say, no, no one's had access to each other for such a long time. But talking about the kind of, team building and, and the way you guys communicate you guys have got quite bear in mind we're missing your your, your fourth here you guys have got quite a, a difference in age in in range right so your youngest obviously being 15 do, is there do you find that the kind of communication has has meant that's that's more difficult as having such an age gap or has it made it easier or how does that kind of play itself out uh so as the oldest person on the team i maybe i'll speak to that uh, to start so I'm 34 and Jessica's 15 and then Alana and Eleanor are like nicely in the middle there. Um, I think 
it's really interesting talking to Jessica because she is 15, but when you talk to her about fencing, you would have no idea that she was 15. Like she's really, really smart. Um, and she picks up on things that I would like never have imagined she was like picking up on um, as a 15 year old. Though I'll say like for us, the age gap, I think like did make it a little bit harder for us to get along right away. And um, this year has been really good for the two of us in particular. Like we didn't fight or anything like that. We just like didn't know how to talk to each other at first. Um, whereas maybe it was a little bit easier for Alan and Eleanor because they're a little bit closer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm, I now feel like the old boy on the team. Now that Richie's retired, I'm, I'm the, well, I'm going to be 31 this year. Um, and so everyone's now younger than me. And I suddenly feel there's this huge weight of expectation is that I should know all the answers. And it's just not the case. <laughs> it's just not the case. I, lo I love that. You're right. Some of the young people, they come in and they bring fresh ideas in. They, they have a different take on things. And can, sometimes that can be really refreshing, actually, to, to kind of bring in some, some, some new thought patterns. So, um, yeah, that, that's right. And I'm, I'm guessing she's not here because you say you've got exams and that kind of stuff. So it's a shame that she can't join us. However, um, yeah, needs must and probably getting all that schoolwork in before before the games come up. So are you planning to go? What's because I know we spoke to Richard and he was saying that from what it looks like, what he thinks when, when we look, look towards the games, it's almost going to be a little bit like a very condensed world championship kind of fly in, get your testing, not really allowed to do that much. Opening ceremony is probably a no go get prepped, do competition, wait a few days, do team, and then you're out of there. It's going to be a very different experience from from what a, a conventional Olympic Games is going to be like. What's kind of, how do you feel about that? You know, it's going to be like a World Cup, right? It's definitely different. And when you think of your, like, Olympics, that's definitely not what you think of, like, when you're young and you're planning and training. But it is kind of cool in the sense that we are part of like a historical Olympics. It's something that not many athletes will be able to say that they did. And it's an Olympics that people are going to remember forever. Um, so it's it's a bummer to not get to cheer on other Canadians and have our family. But um, I don't know, it's, it's still the Olympics. You still get to compete with the best in the world. So try not to look at the negative parts and just like enjoy the fact that we're going together and as a team. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I this is an answer I should already have. Is this the first Olympics for all of you? Eleanor. I went to Rio. You went to Rio. Sorry, I should know that. Alana <laughs> okay. and, and I were lucky enough actually to join Eleanor in Rio as training partners. Um, and that was a really positive experience for both of us. We really enjoyed watching it. And uh, Eleanor had an amazing day uh, beating Arrigo. And then yeah, I was going to say, that was the big win of the day. I remember that. <laughs> It was <laughs> awesome. Like it was like electric. It was so cool. <laughs> I was um, I was out there with the guys. I, I was went out there as, as a training partner for the boys. Um, and uh, you know, I, I try not to push him down the stairs so I could kind of get my call up. But I was just a training partner. Um, but uh, I yeah, I remember watching watching the day, and it was you know there was some incredible fights. But I do remember that one, and I was I was blown away by that. I was like, how did that feel? And you know, that fight must have been great, right? Yeah, that was a good one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like like when I remember that day I definitely remember like being in the call room before going out and looking around and kind of feeling emotionally completely detached and watching everyone having their emotional reactions and being like hmm I just like don't feel like I need to do that um okay. so and so that kind of I don't know like, I kind of felt like I was like dissociating, but like in kind of a good way. Okay. And so like we walked out and I was like, oh, like there's all my friends and my, you know, my teammates or whatever, um, my family. 
and I started fencing, and it was, like, pretty bad. I was down by quite a bit. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. It was, like, I don't know. It was, like, 10. I don't know what the score was. I feel like it was, like, 10-5, but, like, you're also fencing a Rigo, so it's not, like, bad. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, like, I wasn't winning, like, I wasn't winning the whole time. Um, so it was, like, 10-5, and uh, I was, like, ah, dang, like, is this how the Olympics is going to end? <laughs> and so then I realized that she was just, like, fencing at, like, a distance where she could, like, do her attack. And I was like, I'll just try to make it smaller and counterattack a lot. <laughs> um, that kind of worked. And then when I won, I was just, yeah, I was just, like, kind of completely in shock. And I was like, like, there's, like, a video where I'm just like, I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it was it was really really fun like my my coach that I had growing up was there um so it was like amazing to have her there kind of like be full circle and um yeah I ended up losing the next bout uh 15 13 so that was like kind of uh like it was kind of a bittersweet but um it was like it was it was a great a great day I think about it all the time <laughs> And with that being said, how, did, how taking that kind of experience from the Olympic Games into the next, do you feel um, more confident having an Olympics under your belt? Because some athletes like to go in there with kind of having not not had a Games before, because sometimes they kind of, what you don't know can't, can't scare you kind of thing. But some people really feel like, oh, yeah, it's great to have one in the tank because I, I feel like I've got experience going into the next one. How does it sit with you? Is it good for you, bad for you? What do you feel? I think the, the thing that um, will help is knowing the emotions that are to come and not freaking out when they happen. Because a couple days before the last one, I Kelly and Alana know, they were there. I was very not okay. I was like very grumpy, very upset, just like hated everything, hated everyone. And I didn't like understand why. And I was like, well, like, I guess the tournament is just gonna suck because I can't get out of bed and when I get out of bed I'm just like a, an asshole to everyone <laughs> and and so I was like like so now like at least this time and they have this experience too of like okay like there's gonna be some strong emotions you might not understand them but that's normal and it doesn't mean you're not gonna be able to fence well when the day happens and I think that's like very reassuring and um very comforting even in moments when you might feel terrible can I just ask quickly, yeah. did you, have you understood those emotions in hindsight? Like why, they, maybe why they came up or kind of how to have dealt with them? Because I imagine that's probably important to all of you, as you said, it's, you know, for, for, for Kelly and Alana. So you might, you'll probably feel something in the build-up, but you might not have the same reaction, but there'll be something to go through. So to, to kind of be on a team with someone that's really gone through that. And I know Richard's spoken, um, and many Olympians who've spoken to have spoken about the first one being being different, especially if they haven't got anyone to look to to kind of guide them through it. Yeah, I think looking back on it, I had I wasn't like leading up to it. I wasn't. Uh, I guess I was. My whole life going to the Olympics was my dream, and like I had this idea that once I went to the Olympics, I would be like happy forever. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you, you make your goal and you're like, well, you know, I was 21 and I was I have my whole life ahead of me. And so it's like I made my goal and I didn't feel like a different person. I was still myself. And I was like, that was kind of like hard to deal with. 
And so even though I hadn't competed yet, I was still trying to think about competing. I was still kind of like reconciling that. And also it's like fencing is not the most popular sport, but when it's at the Olympics, people are watching. And so I think I was feeling pressure and stress and um, I was by myself in the village. I didn't really have any like people to understand me there. Like I didn't feel close to anyone that was there. And so I kind of felt isolated in a weird way. Um, yeah. First of all, I wouldn't say you were an asshole. Uh, <laughs> you were just very grouchy. Like we were in the, the lounge watching something on, on like some sport on TV and someone changed the channel and Eleanor got like really mad at them. And we were like, this is not Eleanor. <laughs> like they didn't even know she was mad, but we were all like, she, that was not the way she would normally respond to this situation. Um, it's interesting to hear that because I, I don't think we've actually spoken about what exactly led to those feelings. So that was, that was interesting. But for me, just kind of knowing that we're all going to go through something in these like few months and we've already seen little bits of like each of us having a bad practice, like um, being a bit grumpy or crying um, and uh, just kind of understanding that those things are going to happen. You might not understand why your teammate isn't being her best self, but just accepting it um, and knowing that they're going to accept it from you too. And like, no one's going to hold it against you. Um, mm. yeah. I think it's really important, right. You know, to kind of have that communication to, to make sure you're all on, on the same wavelength and actually making sure that when somebody's not having a good day, that, that it, it's okay. It's potentially no reflection on, on the rest of the team. Um, and, and, you know, that, that streamlining that communication makes it a bit easier and, and knowing when to, to give someone their space. I know, um, the, with with the, the the work with the wheelchair team and, and actually one of their guys you know he's incredibly successful but you know if, if he doesn't have the most successful day it's like okay give the guy some space for you know for an hour let him do his thing let him recover and then actually you know what he's his back to his usual self straight afterwards but you don't want to go in an hour because it's not great for him it's not great for, good for his head space and it's not good for the team and, and that's just kind of respecting those boundaries and and kind of understanding that so i think it's really important but in terms of you know you say you're training together as a team um so you've obviously all been quite spread out over over canada but you know you come together and train which is great in your preparation for for the for the games what's the what's the training structure look like is there kind of video analysis of other teams is there kind of individual analysis are there like fight scenarios what kind of team training are you guys doing in preparation for the games yeah, we do a little bit of everything right now. We take some days, like when we're really tired and don't feel like fencing, we kind of take those days to do some video. Um, we do like specific type drills where we're in like team settings um, and just like a little bit of everything. Like we're not really just like focusing on one thing. We just kind of take it like if we're having a certain day and we feel like we're really competitive, maybe we'll do a competition. If we're feeling like we need to just like work on something specific, we'll spend that day doing specific drills and stuff like that. Personally, um, I'm not the type of person that wants to do like super in-depth video analysis. I like to watch fencing and just kind of like see the movements and like get some like general ideas of what the other person's like the way they think about fencing or the, how what they're trying to do. But I leave like most of that like really analytical stuff to my coaches and I'm like, you can tell me what you think that I need to be thinking about um, because if I do too much, then I'm gonna like become too deliberate or too, um, too limited in my mindset okay that's really interesting i've got two questions um relating to this really so the first one is um i'm gonna ask them both at once but kind of to everyone so the first one is has are you doing more training now than you would have done kind of in a normal world cup season and the second part of that is actually 
Um, so I suppose that's kind of depending on whether or not you do like other things in life, because they're you know not all fencers are able necessarily to be funded to fence full time. So they often have to find you know have work to have an income to live life. So that's the first part. The second part is around periodization. So obviously, you know, you periodize your training normally around different parts of the season. How does that look for you right now with just uh, what is it? It's five or six weeks to go. I don't think that uh, we're training any different amount. I think it's more maybe focused on specific things, like kind of like what Alana was talking about earlier. But I wouldn't say that it's like, more training um for the last couple years like since graduating um alana and i have been like focused like on fencing and kelly um has been pretty focused on fencing as well she has she has like a a business but um like full-time fencing full-time training um so yeah we've all we're all kind of like full-timers yeah I think that what's different is that you're not constantly like tapering for a competition. So we've had like more exploratory time. Mm, Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I'd say in terms of periodization, uh, I'm cutting down from like three lifts a week to two um, and just maintaining strength. So I don't have to do it like the strength stuff as often, a lot of like fast things and landing and, um, things like that. Um, so that's periodized. And then we kind of oscillate like how much we're doing drills. Um, so when we came back from Doha, we had a small training group. So we did a lot of drills, um, in that time and then a little bit of fencing. And then when we got to Montreal, we did a lot more fencing. Um, so I think we'll probably just kind of keep like playing with that and I just let my coaches make those decisions <laughs> that's quite good it's quite good to have coaches that can tell you to do those things and do you all do the same training I mean does your so for example Kelly does your does your lifting and your drills do they look the same as um Alana's and and Eleanor's so Alana and I have the same strength and conditioning coach but it's actually been really neat to see that he gave us the same type of program in the beginning and then we've like completely diverged um, oh, and again yeah I like I don't ask him about the reasons because that's, you know, he's making those decisions for Alana and that's like personal. Um, and I also just like, don't want to overwhelm myself with like too many thoughts about what exactly I'm doing. Um, we'll talk about that when I'm done my fencing career. Um, because I am, <laughs> I am interested in strength and conditioning. That's my part-time, uh, job. Um, but I just leave all those decisions and like thought processes to someone else. And I give them the feedback that I need. Um, and then apart from that, actually, one thing that's been interesting is this year, Alana and Eleanor started working um, with the same coach as me, who's my husband. So we have very similar fencing training. Although again, he individualizes certain things for each of us. Yeah, that's kind of like the interesting thing I've noticed with all of us working with the same coach, because there's never been a point in time where all three of us had the same person coaching us. Um, and it's been really interesting to see how Alex changes. He'll teach us the same thing but he'll change it based on the person because like I'll do something completely different than Kelly does it, but it's like the same concept. So that's been really cool to see him like teaching us all similar things and similar ways to hit, but all in our own like specific way. So it's really cool. Okay. So I've got to touch on that. Right. So we're going to backtrack a little bit. So Kelly, your husband is your coach and is the coach now for the entire team, right? How's it like at dinner time at home? 
you guys have anything else to talk about? Like, don't get me wrong. I, I you know, I, I, I get it, right? It must be quite challenging. Do you get to job time? Um, Alex <laughs> loves to talk about fencing. Um, and, he, and he loves to talk. Um, sometimes I have to tell him, like, that's enough. But um, we do talk about other things. I can't, I don't know what else we talk about. We talk about life a lot, you know. Um, but um, fencing is a very popular topic with us but it like sometimes it's about coaching and sometimes it's about right of way like it's not like he's just like talking to me about my fencing all the time like that we definitely like have more boundaries on um and we have like smaller periods of time where I'm like I think I need to work on this and he's just, you know we discuss that's that's pretty good so I've got to say you're I don't know that many Canadians but I, I think it's safe to say 100% of the Canadians I've met love to talk about fencing and in a great way. I mean, well, that's because you know Alex Lim. That's because I know Alex Lim. He put me in touch with you, which was awesome. I'm, I'm very grateful. Yeah, so Alex Lim is from Calgary, where Alana's from, and so is my husband. And they lived in the same on the same street or, like, area. And so my husband, Alex, started fencing because of Alex Lim. And they both love to talk about fencing. So really, your success is due to Alex Lim. You can say that. You can say that. He's going to right now. His head's just going to, he's just starting to swell. He's, he's loving it. Well, he, he told me that he uh, he actually doesn't listen to podcasts, but he goes to my club. So. No, we, we love Alex. In fact, actually, some of my most in-depth um, conversations about fencing have been with him. And it's 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 been it's been awesome. And, and I think it's great that you're able to like know when to switch off. There's no competitiveness, right? He doesn't go like, hey, you know, Alana gave a really good lesson today. Like, oh, you know, there's none of that going on, right? You don't get competitive amongst the coaches and the, and the team. Um, I mean, he's been coaching people that I've been training with for a long time. So I've kind of just learned to accept that. Um, the first time that he broached the idea of working with another athlete that like I'm competitive with was a bit weird. Um, but I just was like, whatever. And then I just moved on from it. Um, but, you know, he does tell me, like, Eleanor took a really good lesson or Alana took a really good lesson. Alana hit some pretty sweet things. And I'm just like, that's cool because, you know, yesterday you complimented me. So, like, uh, I'm not worried that's about that or, like, jealous or anything like that. That's good. <laughs> e equal treatment. That's important. Um, yeah. can, I, can I ask you about, I'm often fascinated about the different setups in different countries. So, like, you know, for a long time, I thought the British system was crap, like competition and rankings is not crap, but kind of not great. And then I discovered that in Denmark, they have a ranking system, but no tournaments. And, you know, depending on where you go, really, things are quite different. And I've heard bits about the Canadian system. Could you fill us in a bit on how how it works in Canada? Like considering, again, it's such a large country. And I think I discovered in one of our quizzes last year, one of our lockdown quizzes, I think has the largest coastline of any country. I believe that. Yeah, <laughs> that probably came from Alex Lim, actually. I think it came possibly, but I think it came from you, actually. Oh, really? Was it? <laughs> I should know it somewhere. Anyway, back back to the question. <laughs> um, it's kind of our system's kind of interesting because we are, like we say, geographically challenged. Like Canada is a really big place, and I we don't have a lot of fencing, and it's kind of like sparse where it is. Like you'll get it in like Toronto and Montreal and Calgary, and then like a little bit in between, um, and Vancouver, and so we they've kind of been playing with our ranking system like every year it kind of changes a little bit but we have like canadian cup competitions um that younger fencers can go to and then we have them separated east and west um they're playing with the idea of sending more people to the states to get points that way but for us once you get to a certain level 
the Canada Cups kind of don't become as valuable as they are when you're young. So we tend to only do World Cups and Grand Prix, and that will hold our rankings. Um, but when you're trying to get up into that position, you kind of got to do like the Canada Cups. The North American Cups are really easy to get to for us. Uh, so people usually go to those. And we've seen like a lot of the younger fencers, like Jessica spent a lot of the time um, doing North American Cups. I think Eleanor did too, quite a bit. Like um, and because those competitions are so big and have so many different fencers, you see a lot of development. So Canadian fencing is kind of putting more value on going to the States versus like going to Europe or stuff like that. Okay. And I know also, this is a really basic question, but as in someone that's totally removed from the Americas, a North American Cup is a knack, right? That's what we often see referred to as an NAC, yeah. which is an American domestic tournament. It's a national tournament. Like okay. they had like from all over the states right yeah okay. you, can, you can go to them from from um any country but uh they actually used to host some in canada before i fenced um but now they're basically american domestic tournaments that other people can go to okay and um, with with the so both eleanor and uh, alana you went you went to, to to ohio state um like what it, so what is it like did you guys participate in the ncaa's the 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 kind of collegiate system how how was that that whole because i mean we're, in, the, in the uk we've got bucks right the british university championships and and and, and most of the the universities go around and fence each other but this is very small in comparison to what the ncaa's are this is basically almost a professional league right yeah the ncaa's in the states is very intense and basically uh, like a lot of people get into fencing so that they can like go to a good university and that's why there are like so many strong um, like cadet and junior fencers in the states because it's so competitive everyone's trying to get to those um, to those schools and like you know get recruited to those schools uh, so Alana and I kind of didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into I think <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah like we weren't planning we were both planning to stay in Canada uh, I was gonna go to school in Toronto and I'll hang out with my friends you know keep training um but yeah like some of the other like coaches had talked to me and been like come you know come to this come to my school or whatever and I was like no no I'm staying in Canada but then um the head coach at the time uh Vladimir Naslimov uh you know six-time Olympian a six-time sorry Olympic medalist like super successful like Russian saber fencer um he like sat me down. He's like, girl, you come to OSU. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like sat oh. me down. You're, you're, you're coming to OSU. I've been watching you. I've been watching you since you were like 14 and you're going to come to OSU. It's going to be the best. See you next year. And I was like, um, I guess I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, like it was really scary because I was just, so used to like I grew up with the same group of friends and I really didn't want to leave I had never been to like Ohio I don't think um but it turned out really well and fencing NCAAs definitely forced me to grow in ways that I uh didn't that I really needed to grow in um like I'll let I'll let Alana like talk a bit about her experience she kind of transitioned a little bit more smoothly but when I first when I first got there I really really struggled with like the five um the five hit bouts like the way that it works is like basically at the tournament um each team fences the other teams but it's just a five and you know if you lose you just have to keep fencing um and NCAA championships is a massive pool of 24 people um I think 
Yeah. And then the top four are, are the ones that have to fence like a tableau. So most people don't even, you know, have to fence a 15 hit bout and you, you have to lose, you lose, you lose, lose, lose. You have to keep fencing. Um, and so like my first year, I didn't even qualify for NCAA championships because uh, Alana and Mona Shaito, who also like Olympian from the States and re represents Lebanon. Um, so I didn't even qualify my first year. And so like, that was really hard because I felt like I didn't fulfill what the coach like brought me there for. Um, and then my second year I did qualify, but I didn't do very well. <laughs> um, had some rage moments there um, and really didn't enjoy it. But then my third year I ended up winning NCAA championships, which was like awesome. Mm -hmm. I was like, finally, like, I feel like the coach, like, he got what he like bargained. <laughs> and then in my final year, I got a bronze medal. So it ended up finishing well, but it was like a huge learning experience for me. Nice. And for me, it's a little bit different. I originally, I was registered for school in Ottawa, just 100% set. And then Vladimir came to me at a Canada Cup and was like, he sat me and my dad down and was like, you're going to come to OSU. And I was like, am I? And he's like, yeah, here's your scholarship, sign this paper and you can come. And I was like, okay, I, I guess I should go then. Because when you're offered like a, a scholarship to school in the States versus like staying in Canada, and I knew like the NCAA system, I was like, I guess this is like something I can't really turn down or I would be like, I'd probably regret it if I did. Um, so, and I was like, I can always come back to Canada. If I go there, I hate it, I can come home. So I decided to go. I started in January. So I was kind of just like thrown into the team. Like usually people start at the beginning of the semester. I started halfway through the year. And so I kind of like, I was lucky that Eleanor was there because it was like a very, the team was like very close and I kind of just like had to like enter it. Um, but the NCAA system is its own beast. Like you go to the competitions and it's the loudest room you'll ever be in. There's like the coaches stand right beside the strip. There's timeouts. Like, it's so different than international fencing, but when you go there and you have like, we'd fence like 35 hit belts sometimes, and you can't just stop when you lose. You have to keep going and going and going. And that's where you really have to like dig deep and learn more about yourself as a fencer. Because if you, you lose and you're just like, well, F this, like you would at a world cup, you're like, I'm done, whatever. You can't do that. You got to keep pushing through. So for me, it was like a, a good experience to figure out like how I could rally after uh, losses and I did pretty well in the NCAA system like all of my four years I got into the top four at NCAA championships um, so it was like I, it was good for me uh, I don't know why I don't know what was different but I figured it out and I liked it that, that's amazing that's very impressive by the way to, to make it all four years <laughs> yeah that's awesome that actually sounds like an amazing thing because often when I've been at competition, you know, if you, you lose more than you win, you feel a bit crap, you know, you're a bit down, but you come out of it thinking, man, I wish I could have fenced more. That was only that was only five bouts, six bouts. You know, if I had more, I could have done better. I could have grown into it. And it, it probably does sound like we just had a big training day last week or the weekend before. You know, I think we did the same. We did tw uh, three, there were three groups of 25 or 26 and every, it was just a big pool unique. So it was just fence, 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 just keep going. And I, I was saying to Ben, I think this was like my second session after lockdown. So I hadn't fenced in six months. I think I lost my first six or seven. And then I was like all up for the rest of the day. Once I, but I had that dip. I had that dip where I went, 
but what's the point? I've done all this training. What the, like this is this sucks. And then once I kind of reset and gone back in, I was like, this is so much fun. This is great. I love defense. <laughs> but I think it's yeah, a think bit like um, it's a bit it's a bit like for us going to like uh, you know a kind of cadet competition in Germany, where in the UK you kind of do your pool and then you do your D, and if you get knocked out, you're going home. Um, but in Germany, it's kind of like right, we well, got one round of pools. You made it through that. Cool. You got another round of pools. Right. Okay. You made it through that. You got another round of pools. And then okay, that's day one. Then day two, you've got another round of pools. And then you've got direct nation with repercharge. You're like. Man, this is, a, this is a lot of fencing. And like the Europeans are condensing all of their fencing into such a short space of time. And so with, with that being said, like, because obviously you both said you had like huge learning from this. This is a very broad uh, uh, and tricky question. Um, but I always like to kind of get someone's or get your guys intake of what you think makes you world class. So like, for example, there are lots of other like fencing people out there um you know on the, i have been on the canadian team and they may have got to a certain level i'm sure very very successful but what's made like the three of you world class is that, like a defining moment or like three things or like two things or one thing that you think actually do you know what that's really made the difference in my in my career and that's quite a tricky question but if there's anything you can think of it's really interesting to kind of get your take on it yeah uh i think i think we're really 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 lucky to have each other um i think like without uh like seeing each other being just like so committed and uh like dedicating <laughs> everything to fencing um if if you have a like a friend that's doing it then you feel like you can do it and so i think we really have pushed each other and motivated each other and um yeah like i i don't i don't think that there's been a team like us because we have like worked so long together and pushed each other and um i don't know i think that's been really motivating and this year especially has been really special for us i think because um like we said before we've never like prepared for a tournament all together and i think now our team is like closer than it's ever been and we're just so excited to like go fence together finally um and yeah, I, I don't know. I think having each other has been like huge in yeah, our success breeds success, right? You all kind of push yourselves up together. Yeah, yeah. and it's kind of interesting because in Canada, like it's not a huge fencing scene. Uh, we've had like some really good fencers like Shireen Shalm um, and like some people like speckled over the years. So we didn't really have like a system that's going to make you the best. Like we had to kind of figure things out on our own and like having each other and we're all just like very committed and we would kind of like, I would see Eleanor do well at a competition. And then I'm like, oh, I can do that too. And then I'd see Kelly do well. And I was like, I can do that too. So we kind of are different in the sense that we didn't have like a clear path on like how to get good, but we like figured it out together. And we would just like use each other as like, if she can do this, I can do this. And then we'd like keep pushing each other. Oh. And then it, so you just said, you know, you had to figure things out on your own. If you each had to name one thing that you you found the most beneficial in your kind of self-taught learning what would you say it was and it can be anything it could be a specific exercise like you know a, or it could be a drill it could be state of mind it, you know it just it can be literally anything you can think of yeah for for me um like in the area that I grew up in there were like no girls that were serious about fencing like n nothing nobody so I had to like basically get get all of my training at, by going to competitions. So when I was a kid, I would go to a competition like 
every weekend and fence, you know, Y12, Y14, blah, 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 all of them. And I would just like battle it out like all weekend um, because I had like nobody to fence uh, in training. Like, so I think like doing a lot of, for me, like doing a lot of competitions early on was like super key um, because I didn't have a good training environment at all. And also my first two years of fencing, I didn't get private lessons. I didn't get coaching really. So I like was just completely like raw, like just like fighting um, and um, feral. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way of describing it. We talk, we, we talk about it like that. <laughs> Sometimes we're like, okay, today training, like we're going to be feral and we just do weird stuff. And like, I mean, that's when you kind of like figure out like, oh, like, like Kelly and I, for a while, we're doing this thing where just like fencing with our feet parallel <laughs> on defense, <laughs> like, let's see what happens. And like, you learn, you learn stuff that way when you're just like trying, trying things on. Like, that's why also COVID has been awesome. Um, <laughs> I mean, I didn't just say that. <laughs> We know what you mean. There are some perks to, to yeah. having kind of had time to do freedom. things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely like competing a lot, a lot, learning how to compete and learning how to uh, um, keep going without a clear, like, no idea what's going on, and just being like, "I like this. I'm doing having this." Having faith, having faith that there's going to be out there somewhere. You've just got to find it. Yeah. Yeah nice but i quite like that i quite like the way that you guys are also very exploratory in your in your training like i you know i i bumped into eli shenko a couple of times when i've been over training in uh in california uh, in la and um I, I really like his whole take his again he's got like a lot of in-depth knowledge about fencing and he's very he likes to explore a lot and try different things which is which is great you know sometimes uh, myself i you know get bogged down in kind of the conventions and ways of doing stuff and actually it's good to kind of break away from that and 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 kind of really try and find a uh you know other, other ways of doing things so that's that's really cool so but yeah i know what you mean competing early on and then kind of that's your that's your big learning curve and then taking that back and going right okay this is more now what i need to need, need to develop in and then you know kind of each competition becomes the next kind of learning learning stage which is which is really cool i know you touched on it earlier on that there was is it i i, I knew her name is shireen mckay she now got married and, and the, the name has changed am i wrong she got divorced and Why? then changed Okay, so. All right. Well, I, I so I had the pleasure of reading her her biography many many okay. years back, and um, like it, the the whole her and the whole team sounded like they had so much fun and that they had so many different things. You know, you guys traveling halfway across the world for European competitions. You know, you have to experience jet lag and long travel over a long period of time. Is there any kind of like quirky things that you guys have as a team to like keep you entertained? Things you do? Do you have any like stupid banter? Like, what what is Team Canada on the road? We're, we're just quirky all the time <laughs> like yeah, banter like, banter is our middle name are you are you a big practical joking team do you kind of like try and set each other up or is it just mm. what like what how does that work we like to joke a lot uh, not like practical jokes, but we have like a lot of inside jokes that if you like came into our group and like heard us talking sometimes, you'd be like, these these chicks are crazy. But we have like a lot of things that like we've been together for so long. We have like a ton of inside jokes or like the way we'll like change our voice when we're talking is a joke. And like from the outside, we probably look crazy, but it's hilarious to us. And we think we're the funniest people ever. 
that's oh great though. That's what being a team's all about, right? It's having those kind of quirky inside things that everyone thinks those guys are mad, and that's actually that you're doing it right that way. Yeah, yeah. that We're, that might be our our superpower that like yes. we entertain each other, and therefore like there's this uh, you know relief from the whole competitive thing, and we we just have a lot of weird weird fun. <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of been interesting with Jessica coming into our group because we're. We're like a very specific type of people. And we're like, what's going to happen with like this young girl coming in to join us? And she came in and just like fit. She she would just start jumping in on jokes that she didn't understand the background, but would just like join in and have fun. Uh, so it's been interesting, like adding someone to our crew and having her just like seamlessly be like, oh, this is hilarious too. I'll join it. And because I don't think a lot of people would just be able to do that, especially at her age. So it's been interesting having her like join in and be like us. Yeah, that takes a lot of courage, right? Yeah, I think, like, I remember, like, Eli, um, he was saying the other day, he was like, I remember the first time that I, like, hung out with the women's foil team, I just felt so bizarre because I just, <laughs> like, I couldn't contribute to the conversation because the whole thing, our, the, the whole conversation is basically callbacks. So we're just <laughs> talking, we're like, remember, blah, and he's like, uh, I guess I can't be part of this right now. <laughs> um, yeah, but... When, whenever we're anywhere, we're always just having the best time. <laughs> like, do you guys hang out outside of fencing? Do you guys, you know, go for dinner or do you, you know, do, you, do you do things the weekend? Do you try and find time to kind of get away from the fencing cell? Yeah. Nice. We play cards. We go hiking. Um, yeah. Like, oh, cards is a dangerous one. We, we, our squad is like big into Uno. That's the day. The Uno, if you get, if you want cards, that's a game you've got. It. And that get that can sometimes get that can also divide the team potentially get violent you know who knows a dangerous game have you ever played spoons oh god I mean, I've, I've played, not for a long time that is violent it's a good one yeah well, that, that that's involving cards not actual spoons right no there's spoons there's oh, both. There's... real spoons yeah, yeah you wow. look this are we talking up. wooden spoons or metal spoons or does it not matter just spoons. metal but that's usually a problem <laughs> people <laughs> is, get hurt is this the game where like kind of you have to tap the person in the back of the head and they don't know it. Have you seen that one? No. That, that's great. It's a great practical joke. So if you get, if you, someone doesn't know this, so you take a wooden spoon and like you, you say, right, put it in your mouth and you have to try and like hit me on the back of the head with a spoon. And they've got the wooden spoon in their mouth, right? So obviously when it's in their mouth, there's like no power behind the like the hit. And so they're, they're like, I can't feel anything. So yeah, I, I might turn. So they turn around and you just, you don't put it in your mouth. You just whack them on the back of the head. And they're like, oh, what? And so you give the spoon back to them and say, right, your turn, your turn. You've got to do it. Anyway, this goes back and forth until they realize that you're not actually putting the spoon in your mouth. You're just whacking them. And they're like, they're, you know, they're taking a run up trying to hit you with a spoon in their mouth. That's quite funny. It's, it's, more, bully it's more bullying, but it, 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 it's, it's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, our, our team has some history of concussion. So I don't know if that's the <laughs> you might You might stay away from that one. Yeah. Um. So... I've got a question about your your training based on something that I've heard. So there's, there's another podcast that I listen to called Trained by Nike. I don't know if you've any of you have come across it. Um, anyway, it's it's hosted by uh, a guy who's he was the VP of performance at Nike. And I think he's now director of performance at Nike called Ryan Flaherty. Um, although when said in an American accent, it sounds much less awkward than when I just said it. Um <laughs> And he's had lots of so it, the, the idea of the podcast is to explore um, the five the five pillars of of, of uh, training um, and holistic training. So they speak to lots of coaches, uh, lots of 
lots of athletes, lots of people that might uh, work with athletes, so kind of support teams. And there's been a lot of talk on there about how, and I don't think it's one particular episode, but throughout episodes, about how in the past, because women have been kind of cast aside, that women have been treated in training a bit like kind of small men without recognizing the fact that men and women are different biologically in in many ways so training over the years over the last kind of 40 50 years has evolved to try and prioritize how you know a male body would react to certain things in certain circumstances which really doesn't seem very fair and i don't i wondered if you had come across that or had any thoughts on um, on that kind of topic because I know it it's not something I'd come across other than on this podcast but I once I heard it I kind of thought it was fascinating and and I'm obviously not somebody that's placed to, to kind of have an opinion except that I could imagine that being the case. I think in terms of strength and conditioning like the biggest difference between men and women is mostly like absolute strength and there are some relative strength differentials as well um what, from what I know, um, the difference between lower body, like strength and power, men to women is smaller than upper body. Um, and I think that translates into fencing because there is like, like you can see like men can like change lines like a lot quicker. Um, so I think that makes um, their attacks stronger, um, which makes like men's foil in particular much more of an attacking game than women's foil. I think we have to be much more careful um so i think that there's a danger in just taking a men's foil approach and applying it to women's foil yeah, yeah. i think men and women are like women's foil and men's foil are very different like kelly said uh i see women's foil more like a, a chess game where you're like trying to figure the person out and that's why you have to be like more careful with what you're doing where uh, men's foil is a lot more physical and so i think when you have a coach that is just trying to make you like a men's foilist, you can run into some problems because they're leaving out like the technical aspect of the women's foil game. Um, and we'll hear like comments from guys a lot being like, oh, counterattacks are dumb or stuff like that. It's like, well, my counterattack was perfectly timed. So I don't think it was dumb. <laughs> um, so I think like girls, you have to teach young female athletes. Like I've recently got into coaching and I focus a lot with my girls about how to like time things more than just be like physical and be strong. I teach them how to like time things first and then move into like the power and stuff like that once the timing is there, which I don't know would be the same if I was coaching guys. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. And actually like what, when I was speaking to um, Kate Beardmore, who's who's one of the women's foilists for, for GB, she was saying some of, some of the, there, there are, there are very small subtleties in some of the, uh, the refereeing as well. Um, and, and some of the things that on the piece sometimes that, that we, we may do, if I'm fencing her, she, she'll be curious because it may be called differently for her in some situations. Be, and I, I, don't, I can't put, given a specific example, I think the specific example I was talking about was like for, for her, she was expecting her attack to be given as a, as a renewal, basically. Um, and it was given attack, no attack for me. And, it, and the idea that I think for her, they, she was saying that they, they seem to be a lot more uh, renewing based actions um, that she was saying that, that she tends to see. Um, and, and she's not sure whether that's that's because, um, you know, that there's less uh, kind of simultaneous based actions in this fall. Not entirely sure. We were just kind of talking and saying that felt different for her than it did for me. Um, and so, you know, I think you're absolutely right. The men and women's fall is completely different and therefore 
coaching it would be again very different and i, and I don't think taking uh, a, you know a, a, a men's foil kind of structure into men's foil or women's foil into men's foil for example would be would be the best and but also trying to understand both and seeing how you can as you quite rightly said earlier on having the same coach but still making it individualized for each athlete as well yeah I think, there's, I think they call more attack and preparation so maybe okay. that's kind of like what she was thinking um but that's an interesting thought too it might be just like they give a little bit less time um in women's um I don't know. Like, I feel like a lot of the time a woman can do like the same preparation as a guy mm. and they'll, they'll call attack and preparation on it just because like maybe it doesn't like look as nice. And like I mentioned earlier, like the line doesn't change as quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my opinion. I was just also thinking like the like a lot of the differences, like, of course, there's like the physical biological differences, but there's also like the socialization differences. So in coaching, you really have to like, um, I think take those into consideration and think about like why is this like maybe you you're you're training with you're coaching little little boys and they're all like ah, like trying to attack and like girls just like haven't been socialized in the same way to like go for it um to have like the same confidence and to like you know be violent and mm-hmm. when you think about like fencing it's like you're trying to stab the other person and like I don't have a ton of experience coaching, but I've coached like kids for a couple years uh, at my club, and it there is like a clear difference in like, uh, like, mo- more of the time, um, like little boys are like less discouraged when they fail, like they'll they'll mess something up and they'll be like, okay, like I'm gonna do it again, I'm gonna do it again, and like whereas like a lot of the times like little girls like, uh, take it more personally, and it's like need more like encouragement to to keep to keep going and keep trying it doesn't mean just because you made a mistake that you're bad um and I don't think that is like that's like the socialization part of it so I think it all kind of like interweaves you have to like um take all of that into consideration in coaching like men's and women's I think it's really interesting to say that because you know at our club when you get little boys and little girls one of the things I find is that when the little little boys start they really want to like batter the blade around yeah. and hit each other you say yeah. the, the girls look for the more tactical solutions i want to avoid the blade and try and find my way through tactically that that's quite an interesting kind of way you put it the socialization the guys who want to they want they want to see it like the, the sword fighting movies they have in their head lots of blade contact lots of kind of like going for it whereas the, the ladies need to think a little bit more tactically right how can i find a way through this how can i find a tactical solution to this game that's quite interesting you say that it's yeah i do notice that now i've i've i've, I've been giving though they're seeing how the interactions happen that's quite cool yeah and i think at the end of the day like each athlete is individual so um some female athletes you can you might end up coaching a little bit more like a guy in terms of like the way that you talk to them or a male athlete you might like talk to them more like uh, you would a normal like you know on average a female athlete um i think there are some generalities but you just have to like as a coach be in tune with the person you're working with and how they respond and like have an open relationship so that they can give you feedback as well. I think there's no one size fits all when it comes to like coaching in general. Like you can't, if you took me, Eleanor and Kelly and coached us all the same way, it would end pretty badly. Um, And even if you like spoke to us the same way, like outside of the fencing, like as a coach, if you spoke to us after about the same way, it also wouldn't work. So I think, um, like people or coaches in general just need to be more in tune to like how each athlete likes to be coached. And then that creates like a better coach athlete 
relationship. And I also think it's important to get more women into coaching because there's like a bit of gatekeeping happening in fencing right now where a lot of coaches are male and a lot of head coaches are male. And you kind of see it more now where female coaches are coming into the scene. Like Italy has them, Russia has them, like you're seeing more and more. And I think it's important that we keep women in coaching and have them as like lead or head coaches moving forward so that it's like you have women coaching women and it like adds a whole new aspect of the game. I think yeah. that applies to referees as well, you know. It's, you know yeah. I think that the exact same is, is true there. But I know what you mean about touching on the learning styles. Like, for me personally, so I'm dyslexic, and I find that, like, if anybody kind of verbally tells me how they want something done, it kind of literally goes in one ear and out the other. If they show me how they want it done, I'm like, okay, cool, that works for my my brain, the way I process information. And so, as you say, it, it's, you know, not even gender-specific. This is, this is very individual, and actually, even personality types, you wouldn't give a debrief to an athlete one way that was was quite logical thinking, quite analytical. Um, you wouldn't give a, a very you know cold, a cold kind of um, in-depth, logical, detailed answer to somebody who was who was more emotional and kind of wanted uh, more more um, reassurance and, and 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 a bit more of an interpersonal thing. There's lots of different personality types in there, and I think that you know having just worked with with young kids and and them growing up, some want to be um, you know told honest and, and straight. Others want to feel more motivated and help their confidence. Lots of different things, and I think that's the skill of a coach. You know, whoever they are, is to be able to tap into the personality of the person they're with and being able to deliver what is right for that for that athlete. We we haven't really touched on kind of what it is like. You know, you, uh, Kelly, you mentioned that you've got. A business and I, I think everyone else has kind of other stuff going on in life as well do you want to talk a bit about that before we go sure yeah I've been personal training um for like six years now um that's my um passion like outside of fencing um and well like before the pandemic hit I was kind of like you know working with fencers like will that be a like a side project like how is this going to work I was working at a pretty fancy gym in New York um, and then the pandemic hit and I was like, well, I have this time. Let's like develop a strength and conditioning business um, for fencing. And I started that during the pandemic and I have goals of developing that after my fencing career. Um, but we actually like all uh, started our own little business ventures um, during the pandemic. So I'll let everyone speak to that. Outside of fencing, I've always been like really into like art and like drawing and stuff. It's always like when I'd go to World Cups, I always bring like my you know, sketchbook and stuff. And uh, so I, my mom has like a, a promotional products business. So she has like connections to like um, suppliers for different things. So we decided that we would like uh, join forces and I would make some designs and um, get them on to like clothes. Um, so I started a business called Lenny Garb. And uh, yeah, so it's like my, um, my designs on, uh, Canadian made and secondhand like revamped clothes. So I'll like go to thrift stores and like buy stuff and then get it silk screened or embroidered with my designs. Um, or just like order more like basics, Canadian made um, basics uh, and same thing like embroidery or silk screen. And um, yeah, so that's that's been something I've been like working on outside. Oh yeah, here's- Oh, check here. it out. That's, that's awesome. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you did the, the Canadian tracksuit too. That's awesome. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. No, for those that can't for those that can't see, Kelly and Eleanor stood up showing the designs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I started a painting business when uh, COVID kind of fully hit. I found myself after graduation, kind of, I was fencing full time and I didn't really have time to get a job, but I found a lot of like discomfort in the fact that I wasn't like making money. And I felt like I was kind of like leeching off of like sponsors and stuff like that. And so I kind of wanted to have something of my own to like bring something in um, and to do something other than just fence because you can't just focus on fencing 24 seven. So when COVID hit, I was kind of like, oh crap, what do I do now? I'm not even doing the one thing that was like bringing me um, joy before. So I decided to start selling my paintings. I'd been doing them for a couple of years and I created an Etsy shop called Paintings by Lana. And yeah, I've been selling and making paintings. I do custom ones. I do kind of like my own funky style. I do lots of animals, landscapes, mountains, anything anybody wants. <laughs> that's so cool. What like there's so much talent in one room. That's incredible. That the fact that there's a lot of creative stuff and there's amazing guys. That's that's really cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, well done. And is there um so where can people find you? I know you've mentioned quickly, but just in case people missed it, where where can people find you or get in touch or or see what you're what you're selling or how they can uh, they can get some help. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. Um, my strength and conditioning account is called Lion Ethic. Ethic is spelled with a K for Kelly. Um, and uh, I, that's the same website, lionethic.com. Yeah, my website is lennygarb.com. So L-E-N-N-Y and then G-A-R-B. And, uh, or yeah, I have an Instagram as well. It's just lennygarb.revamps. Awesome. You can find me, uh, I'm on Instagram with Lana Goldie, or you can find Paintings by Lana on Instagram, or if you go to Etsy and search Paintings by Lana, you can find them there. Um, it's been great to have you guys on, and we, and we really appreciate that. And I say there's so many more questions we could ask you, um, but we absolutely wish you the very, very, very best of luck at the Olympic Games. We, the podcast is planning to go through... Um, the, the Olympic Games. Um, I don't know if Chris and I have spoken about staying up all night yet uh, to try and to, to follow some of it, but maybe we will, maybe we won't. Um, but yeah, thank you so the much. Pandemic Olympics only happened once. You have to stay up all night yeah. every night. That's, so, true. Um, That's true. And where, whether we watch it or not, we'll be cheering for you, especially yeah. as there are no, no British women's spoilers in the event. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Commonwealth. Consolation yeah. prizes. <laughs> We're pretty much the well, same. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you were our first choice anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, so yeah, Kelly, thank you so much. And Alana, thank you so much. Uh, Jessica, who's not here, um, I, I must apologize. We have to make sure we mention her as well. And Eleanor as well. Um, the four of you, very best of luck. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll make sure that we put everything up on the write-up so people can, uh, can find you guys. Um, and to find us, we are at the Fenced In Podcast. Uh, you can find that on Instagram, Twitter. Um, what else have you put us on, Chris? You put us. On uh, that's it. That's it. That's just it. you now. Just, just the Ben Pegs Instagram account as well, the Facebook. Page. Oh yeah, yeah. And then yeah, if anybody wants to follow me, it's at Ben Pegs. Um, and uh, yeah, on Instagram, Twitter, and at Ben Pegs Fencing on Facebook. Um, I don't think anybody uses Facebook these days anymore. Or certainly my page, it doesn't get a look in. But anyway, and then um, Chris as well. Your 4G Designs, the producer of this, uh, this, this podcast. Yes, that's right. So I have a, a user experience agency of one, um, but I, so I call it an agency, but uh, you can find that on Instagram and Twitter at J4G Design. Excellent, cool. And I just guess that uh, leaves us a 
thank you so much guys and best of luck thanks for having us Fenstin podcast has been created in association with J4G Design, your one-stop user experience agency for all things digital, websites, graphic design and technical support.